We are in a sermon series uh, on, on explosively fruitful living in the kingdom uh, of God. Uh, in particular, we're talking about what gets, what gets in the way of uh, a revival in our life. When you read about what, it, what it's like to walk with Jesus, when you read about those things uh, in Scripture, uh, it, 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 sounds, it sounds pretty cool, uh, and it sounds like it should be quite something. Uh, Jesus says, uh, we read, in John uh, chapter 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Uh, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Uh, if you trust in Jesus, if you believe in him, the very Spirit of God will inhabit you and will flow through you, flow out of you into the world. And that sounds like a pretty large thing if the very spirit of the living God uh, is going to in inhabit you and then through you flow into uh, the world. The end of the Gospel of Mark says, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe or does not trust uh, will be condemned. And these signs will accompany anyone who believes. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands and they drink deadly poison. It won't hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And then... Uh, the rest of the historical account, we read how the disciples did that. These simple Galilean fishermen went out. They preached to the entire world. Uh, uh, the, the Jesus uh, faith became a global movement attended by a great deal of miracles. God makes ordinary lives into real, really extraordinarily purposeful, fruitful, supernatural things. And the Bible makes it sound like that, that should be the normal way of, of doing things. Uh, personally, I have experienced at least a little bit everything that Jesus mentions in the Gospels. We certainly see people uh, come to faith, uh, get restored in the right relationship with God. Uh, we've seen miracles of healing. We've seen miracles of deliverance. We've seen all sorts of other supernatural manifestations. It happens. My only question is, why, does, why doesn't it happen more? And so in some way, you could say that this sermon series is about more. What do we have to do to get more of the kingdom through our lives and into the world? Amen? Are you with me? Yes. Alyssa got snaps. Thank you. All right. Uh, so today we're going to talk about something that uh, gets in the way, some, some stones that can get in the way and keep the Holy Spirit from flowing out of you as uh, he should. And let me preface uh, today's sermon by asking a question. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? You're afraid of money, particularly having too much. Oh, not having enough money. Okay. It's like, ah, there's money in my wallet. Get out. Uh, not having enough money. What are you afraid of? Failure. failure. Afraid of failure. What else? Rejection. Rejection. It's a stupid thing to say. Get out of here. Callie will not accept that from me. What else are you afraid of? What are you really afraid of? Unsuccess. 
not failure, but unsuccess. Just sort of blah. The future, the great unknown country, the future. I'm sorry? Too much, too much commitment. Getting, getting boxed in. Too much responsibility. Anything else? Maybe not you, but you know, you've heard that some people are afraid of. Insignificance. Lack of meaning in life. Sort of a, a, a futility. I think that's just a terribly important question. Um, say fear is one of the enemy's two great weapons. It's, it's either fear or it's lies. Um, fear is a huge thing in life. Uh, it has probably played a big role uh, in your life, and being a very fruitful kingdom person will involve uh, conquering fear. Uh, there is no doubt. Go through the Gospels sometime and, and read them, and what you will see is that when Jesus praised people, when he said, good job, nice going, excellent work, you got it, whenever he praised people, it was about their faith. When Jesus praised someone, almost exclusively he praised their faith, their positive expectation of God. When Jesus criticized someone, which he did from time to time, it was almost always a criticism about fear. Almost always. Uh, if you read the gospel, particularly the gospel of Mark comes across this way, it seems like a pitched battle between faith and fear. The most frequent, com frequent command in the gospels is do not be afraid, or some version of it. Do not fear, do not be anxious, something like that. Do not be afraid. Uh, Jesus himself gives that command straight out to individuals at least 15 times. In the New Testament, it might appear something like 180 times. Uh, we hear it from the angels at the beginning of Jesus' life. They show up and they say, don't be afraid. Rejoice. Uh, and depending on how you count in the Bible, those are the two most oft-repeated commands. It's either rejoice or don't be afraid. Those are the things that God is telling us uh, most often. And there's a reason for this, I think, because, you know, faith, trust, is, is the meaning of life. Adam and Eve did not, uh, did not betray God and eat of the fruit because they didn't believe God existed. They knew he existed. You know, faith in God's existence is not the issue. Faith in God's goodness, which is to say trusting God, that was the problem. They didn't believe that God was good. And so all of human history uh, since the beginning, since that point, since our initial failure, has been about developing trust in God's goodness. That's, that's, uh, that's the goal of life. How you do that chiefly is by ministering in love, loving people outrageously uh, in the world. But if trusting God is sort of the goal of this life, uh, then what's, what's the anti-goal? What's exactly not the goal in life? It would be not trusting. It would be fearing. It would be fearing. Fear is the opposite of faith. And the thing I, I love, well, one of the things anyway I love most in life is, is when I see people overcoming fear. Nothing gets me excited more than that, you know, particularly in, in ministry. When I see someone conquering fear, overcoming it, I just get really jacked up. Um, one of my uh, 
favorite stories uh, from, from daddyhood uh, happened uh, when my daughter uh, Johanna was uh, about two and a half years old or so, going on three, I guess. And uh, she, got, uh, she got really sick. You know, she got the flu, some sort of virus, uh, and then a real nasty case of strep, strep throat. So her, her throat was just incredibly in, inflamed. She couldn't talk. She couldn't eat for, you know, like, like you know, some days uh, it was bothering her. And, you know, her fever was spiking. It was obviously a very bad infection. So we took her to the ER one night, and it was her first experience with all of that, you know. And you walk into the ER, that's a little intimidating for an adult. Uh, but, you know, when you're two and a half, three years old, you walk into an ER, you know, it's really intimidating. What's going on? And, you know, doctors there don't have the gentle manner that they do in a normal uh, doctor's office. So they were buzzing in, you know, they were taking blood because they wanted to check stuff and doing all this. Just, you know, freaking out the kid, right? On top of that, her, her throat was so bad she, she couldn't even talk. And at one point, uh, the doctor came in and he took out one of those throat swabs. And what he's going to do is take a culture from her throat. And so he sticks it in front of her face and says, open up, honey, I need to stick this into your mouth. And it's just like abject terror at that point. Who are you? You got a big stick. You're going to shove it down my throat. Did they tell you that my throat hurts? And she's just quivering, you know, and just silently crying. And she glances at me, I remember, and then she looks at the doctor and stares him straight in the eye and then opens her mouth. And her whole jaw was shaking. And, and suddenly I just had this revelatory moment in the ER. I said, that kid's going to be all right. <laughs> She's got it. You know, I just, that, that was just like a major life moment, I think, for her. She surely does not remember this. Um, but she looked fear in the face, and she decided, I'm not giving in to it. <laughs> you know, uh, daddy says do this. I will choose, you know, trusting daddy instead of freaking out uh, right now. And he took the little swab and just looked at me with her little lip quivering, you know. And I just walked over across the room and gave her a big hug. Good job, you know. Good job. It's monkey kid. I don't know. Somehow that encapsulates a lot of life for me. You know, look fear in the face. Choose to disregard it because you trust your, your parents. You trust your dad. Trust your heavenly father instead. You following me? So fear has probably played a huge role in your life. If you're human, I'll give you a moment. You can check. Uh, it can make you do any number of strange things that come to dominate your life. It can make you behave too small in life. It can make you behave too large, too grandiose in life. It can make you judge yourself very strictly, lest you fall prey to other people's judgments. You know, harsher on yourself because that's safe. Um, it can make you disavow morality entirely, pretend that there's no such thing as moral standards uh, because you don't, you're, you're afraid to be judged, so you choose that route uh, instead. Uh, it can prevent you from living today. You know, it can make you overly cautious. Um, it can make you live just for today, enjoying immediate pleasures. You can sort of check out of life because you don't want to think about the scary future or something like that. It can generate stress, panic, and all manner of unhealthy lifestyles. But maybe the most devastating thing that fear does is that it seduces you away from living and working in faith. To the degree that you give in to fear in life, 
you will walk away from faith in life. To the degree that you are afraid of something, you are not believing in God. That's, that's the basic uh, equation. And I think fear mostly does this through a mindset, right? It's not even so much that you're afraid of something in particular. It's not, you know, that you're afraid of heights, you know. That isn't necessarily going to pull you away from God. Um, what's going to pull you away from God is if you let your fear of heights or your fear of lack of money or your fear of failure or your fear of rejection develop in you just a fear mindset. If you accommodate fear in your life somehow, you just decide that fear, caution, is really the way to go in life. And if you play it that way, it will tear you right out of kingdom fruitfulness. It will prevent uh, the kingdom from flowing through you with any sort of magnitude. There are lots of fearsome things in life, uh, but to live according to fear, to let it be part of how you approach life uh, in general, will totally limit the flow of God's kingdom to you. Fear gets in the way. Fear is a big stone that impedes the stream of the Spirit in you. If you're a believer, there's a fountain of life in you, right? There's a Holy Spirit himself lives inside of you, and the Spirit will flow through you powerfully, provided you don't let junk get in the way. A couple weeks ago, we talked about being offended by God and how that can get in the way. Well, today we're talking about how fear gets in the way. Fear is junk. Everybody say it with me. Fear is junk. Say it again. There you go. I like the way Kat says things. All right, so let's read today's scripture. Uh, it's from Matthew chapter 14, a familiar story, probably a good story for a hurricane weekend. about uh, Jesus, a stormy sea, and a, uh, a sailor named Peter. So what's happening here is that uh, Jesus has told his boys to row across the lake because they're, gonna, they're trying to get away from the crowds. They're going to go over to the other side of the lake uh, for some uh, peace and quiet. He sends the guys ahead of him so he can take a little uh, solo time, a little introversion time, pray with God. Uh, the boys get out into the lake, and a storm strikes. It's a terrible storm. Uh, that area of the world, that lake is famous for sudden squalls. And so they get all freaked out. Most of them are seasoned fishermen, uh, but nevertheless, they are freaked out. So it's a very bad storm. Um, here's the story. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. 
Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died out. I think this is a cool story because it's just a, a lovely juxtaposition of faith and fear and the relative uh, effects. There's a storm in the boat. The disciples are having a hard time. We get different accounts of this story. So we know, you know, it was, it was a rocking storm. And then Jesus, uh, you know, takes a stroll across the lake. Okay, that in and of itself, fairly impressive. Uh, but that's not the, the thing to, to focus on uh, so much. They see, they see Jesus walking on the lake, and they think, that's not normal. There's something supernatural going on here. Maybe it's a ghost or a goblin or something like that. I mean, they had all their, you know, crazy folk beliefs, scared of the dark sort of things as well. And so that's where they go to, right? When the stress is on, when they see something they don't understand, they call up that scared child within them, and they go to ghost stories, you know? I have, this, I have this pet theory that for most of us, fear begins to get a hold in our life when we're very young, afraid of what might be in the dark, you know? And then when something scary happens in life, we switch to our, you know, our, our lizard brain and we go right back to that, that most basic fear. And some of us never get over that. And here are these seasoned fishermen, these seamen, these guys who have spent a lot of time out on the ocean and immediately they were like, there's something ghoulish in the dark. Ah. It's just amazing how that happens. Uh, but Jesus is like, uh, actually, you know, don't freak out. Take courage. Be encouraged, literally. Uh, it's me. And, and then Peter does what I think is an amazing thing. Uh, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Why did Peter say that, do you suppose? This to me is like the most, I mean, there's a lot of amazing things about the story, but this is the most interesting thing in this story for me. Right, you're in a boat, pitching at sea, you see your friend Jesus walking on the water, and your first response is what? What are you doing? Get in the boat, you're going to die. Something like that. <coughs> but Peter's response is, I want to do that, says the surfer. He doesn't even need a board. Uh, why? Why does Peter say it? What do you think is going on for him? Think about that a second. Got any theories? Got any theories you want to like shout out? I'm just going to leave your pastor hanging here. That's cool. He wants confirmation before. If that's you, is that what you mean? And so he asked Jesus to to uh, talk it over with him first. So even in his craziness, he's, he's going through the checkboxes. Good observation. Why does Peter want to go walking on water? You ever thought about that before? Chris. Hey, Chris and Sonia are back this weekend. Jesus can do it. Maybe I can do it. Why would you want to do it? It's just so cool, man. I, I don't know. So this is on my list of interview questions that I have for people when I get to heaven. But I, I imagine that... Thanks. You can smell my breath from there. 
lozenge. Um, my, my theory is that Peter is just fed up with being afraid. You know, it's been a very tumultuous, crazy time uh, in, in ministry. Uh, part of what's going on here is that Jesus and the guys are exhausted. You know, and uh, I think Peter is just like, you know, I'm in the middle of the storm. I'm exhausted. I'm afraid. I'm freaking out. Jesus is taking a stroll. I don't, I don't want to be afraid anymore. You know, I want, I want that mindset. I want to be free. You know, I want to be free. And so he takes it as an opportunity uh, and, and says, you know, Lord, if that's come to you, if, excuse me, if that's you, tell me to come to you. I think there's a little, there's a little genius in here from Peter. Like, uh, you know, Frank pointed out, he doesn't just jump out of the boat. <laughs> he says, if that's you, tell me to jump out of the boat. Peter reasons, I can do anything that the Lord tells me to do. He lets obedience free him from fear. You know, there's nowhere in scripture that says, thou shalt walk on water. Right? But, you know, there's a way in our relationship with the Lord where you can say, bid me to do something just a little crazier. Give me an opportunity to live free of fear. And that's a great prayer, guys. Tell, t give me an idea, Lord. Tell me to do something so that I can just live free of fear because I am sick to death of it. I'm sick to death of being a small fraidy cat. So Jesus is like, yeah, walk in water. Sure, that, that's fine. Uh, come on out here. And so Peter, uh, Peter does it. And then what happens? I mean, first thing, he walks on water. Fairly cool. James, cool? Uh, first historical account of surfing, right here. And uh, he pulls it off, right? He does the impossible, which you'd think would be a life-changing moment. Uh, but fear is a stubborn master, and it says he sees the wind and becomes afraid. You're already doing the impossible. You know, you've done it. And, and I reflect on this moment a lot uh, in my own life. Like, I have seen, you know, amazing miracles. I've seen people get he healed of amazing things instantaneously. I've gotten to be part of some of these things. And yet, when it comes to, you know, praying for the next person in Starbucks or something like that or trying to heal somebody somewhere, for some reason, there's always a little nervousness in me. Fear is just a stubborn weed. He's literally walking on water, and then he says, oh, it is kind of stormy. You knew that before. You know, this is very, very human moment. So he's moving in obedience slash faith, and then, he, and then he lets fear in for a moment, and then he sinks. You know, and he's like, oh, yes, this is impossible. Glub, 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 glub. Jesus bails him out. Um, what would you have said to Peter once... He and Jesus got back into the boat. Now Peter's just like, ah, ah, you know, it's like I, I was walking and then something went wrong. And what would you have said to Peter? There are a couple of things that you could say. You could say, nice try. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> you know, or you could be one of those, what were you thinking? You stepped out of the boat. You were walking on water. 
this just goes to show you that you shouldn't try crazy stunts like that. Who would have said that? Oh, come on, liars. Or you would have said something like, Peter, you've kind of been a leader among us, but this proves that I can no longer trust your leadership. I can't trust your judgment. You're going to lead us to try crazy things like that. No, only Jesus can do that, not you. It, I don't know what I would have said to him. Um, maybe I just would have kept my mouth shut. But Jesus said, uh, Ye of little faith, you know, your faith ran out. Why, why were you uh, afraid? You know, Jesus makes, makes the comparison right there. It's faith or it's fear. In faith, you did the impossible. In fear, you sank. Let me just point out in the story that although Peter gave in to fear, Jesus did bail him out, right? And, uh, and everything goes fine from there. In life, it's faith or it's fear, you know? Faith in what? What do you have faith in? I think the most important faith, uh, Allah, the lesson of the Garden of Eden, is to trust that God cares, that God is really in it for you. God cares. Very simple. Can we just say that together? God cares. Do you trust that? God cares. Um, fear of what? You know, if the key is to have faith that God cares, then the bondage would be being afraid that, well, maybe being afraid that he doesn't care, or just being afraid of any of the things uh, that, that you mentioned. What are you afraid of? I think this is one of the top two diagnostic questions of life. The other one is, what do you believe in enough to die for? Those two questions will pretty much tell you who you are. Um, just to kind of uh, put a point on it, I wanted to characterize the difference between a fear response and a faith response. Mark chapter 5, Jesus has been called first to heal a dying little girl, but he's delayed on his journey and the girl dies. And when he finally shows up at the house, they've already started the funeral. There are funeral mockers there. Uh, they insult Jesus. Jesus kicks them out. He says, the girl is just asleep. You know, I'm, I'm going to go wake her up. And then he, he turns to the girl's parents and he says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Which is a heck of a sermon uh, to give, you know, in, when your daughter has just died. The worst thing that can possibly happen uh, to parents. What do you suppose they were thinking when they said that? And one of the things I might have thought was like, what does that mean practically right now? Huh. I mean, the, the, the girl is, is dead, you know. I'm going to be afraid of, you know, what at this point? I'm going to trust in what at this point? So, so what does it mean when it gets down to brass tacks? How do you respond in faith instead of responding to fear? Well, here are a few things uh, generally just to meditate on. Fear says you can't. You know, fear always says you can't. And faith says, you can. Sort of, yeah. I, I think that's sort of true. But practically speaking, it usually manifests more like this. Fear says, don't try. And faith says, try. 
Practically speaking, I think that's what faith versus fear usually comes down to for the believer. All right? Fear isn't going to walk up to you and say, uh, you can't walk on water. Because, you know, we're believers, and we've read the stories, and, and we'd be like, okay, well, technically we can. You know, I mean, we, we, know, we know that it's possible. Jesus has done it. Peter's done it, and stuff like that. So what, what fear will say to you is, oh, no, 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 no. You're not the kind of person that tries walking on water. Don't, don't try that. That's usually how it comes across. We know uh, that Christians through evangelism have totally changed the face of the planet. So fear isn't going to come up to you and say, you can't evangelize. You can't change anybody's life. But fear will come up to you and say, oh, don't try that. You're not the sort of person to try such things. Right? That's the fear mindset. That's the fear identity. Whereas faith will say, try it. Try. Try. That's usually the difference. You following me? Uh, just, to, just to put a, a point on it. Faith doesn't say, um, faith isn't, isn't cocky. It doesn't say, I know exactly what will happen, and I know exactly what the outcome will be here in this situation. Uh, because, you know, how many of you always know what's going to happen? We're not trusting in outcomes we're trusting in a good God. We're trusting that God cares, and so we will try for positive outcomes. You know, we will, we will try, and, and we will see. Faith says God cares. I trust God enough to die for him, and I will never back away from anything when I have a chance to demonstrate his love and power. That's what faith says. Something good could happen here. I will try. Practically speaking, that's usually faith manifesting in you. Get it? You think that's true? Have I characterized it properly? You veterans of the faith fear wars. Outcomes are never guaranteed. They're dynamic. Jesus had great faith, right? Probably had perfect faith. But when Jesus went to his hometown, the people in his hometown had a lot of cynicism, and the scripture says, Mark 6, he could do no miracles there. So Jesus' perfect faith did not guarantee an outcome, but Jesus' perfect faith guaranteed that Jesus would try to minister in his hometown. Jesus always tried. Dynamic. Peter had enough faith to walk on water, but then being human, his faith fluctuated with fear, and he sank. So he had the faith to pull it off, but he didn't pull it off. At the end of the day, I think I would have patted Peter on the back and said, you had the faith to try. That's what makes you a leader. I will follow you after all. You know, and I think that's what Jesus saw in him. So if your faith is anchored in outcomes, if you're the sort of person that I'm just going to believe that whatever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe for this job. God is definitely going to give me this job. Fool's game. Don't do that. Instead say, I believe that God is just nuts about me. I'll try for this job because I think it's good. And if that doesn't work out, I believe that God will provide another job or provide for me supernaturally or provide for me uh, with envelopes of cash appearing on my pillow at night or strange people like Nat just writing me checks for $300 out of the blue. God will provide because God is good. However he provides, that will be a great story. You get it? See the difference? So the key is, is try. 
If you are anchored in outcomes, then you will get disappointed, and that's, that's next sermon's topic, disappointment uh, with God. Um, there are some outcomes we can be sure of. You know, God will raise us to eternal life, but even there, Scripture says you have no idea what eternity is like. You have no idea. It will be a surprise to you. All right. I will always try what's worth trying because God is good and he cares about me. Yes? Amen? Show me some encouragement. It's a rainy day. I'm a little bit grumpy. Thank you. All right. So very quickly, just some tips to help get your fear out of the way. This is how stuff you can do to kind of practice uh, not being afraid. Uh, number one, name your fear. Ask yourself, what are you afraid of? Figure out what you're afraid of in life because fear can be a nameless habit. You can just let it seep into your bones and decide that you're always going to be a cautious person. And that will destroy uh, your faith uh, personality. So what are you afraid of? I ask people that all the time, uh, like in counseling sessions or prayer sessions. I, I'm sorry, exactly what are you afraid of? Well, uh, and the most common answer I get is, I don't know. I don't even know. Exactly. Fear is your mindset. Uh, let's change to a try uh, mindset. So uh, don't just let it be a nameless thing that haunts you. If you're afraid of ghosts, say you're afraid of ghosts, and then we'll just handle it straight on. Um, don't let caution masquerade as wisdom. Don't let fear masquerade as wisdom. We see this a lot in life. Um, I used to be in academia. I used to be in the world of policy analysis. Um, I worked at some of the, the most uh, reputable political think tanks in the country well, once upon a time. And at any round table where you're discussing policy or discussing theoretical ideas, there's always, there's always someone who sits down and says uh, something like, um, something could go wrong here, and we just need to be aware of that which is the cheapest thing you can say in life at any moment of life. You know, I worked in business for a while. Business, same thing. You know, this investment could go bad, and I think we need to be ready. You know, uh, what's going to go bad? Well, I don't know what's going to go bad. But see, we don't know what we don't know. And therefore, and, and the cautious skeptic always seems like the wise man. But true wisdom is always about how do we get this to work? It's not about something could go wrong. It's always about how do we get this to work? Um, and so don't, just because someone is cautious or cynical, that uh, does not make them wise. But we believe it in life. Um, caution is, is, is not wisdom. Caution is, is just caution. Um, caution, automatic Habitual caution is no way to live if there's a loving, all-powerful God. Number three, practice worship. And we've talked a lot about this, so I will not belabor the point. Uh, worship is uh, the point in our relationship with God where we just stop calculating. Worship is wasteful. Worship is just, we're not doing the math, we're just letting go. We're sacrificing our alabaster jar, our dowry, our future on one beautiful gesture to Jesus. I know it doesn't make accounting sense, but... I don't care. Worship is, is a, an act of love, not accountancy. Uh, my biggest fear in life is futility. It's insignificance, meaninglessness. Uh, you know, the, the lie that comes to me often is, this will never work out. 
so you'll never break through. That's the one that I fight against most often. The antidote to that, I know, is actually worship. It's when I can say, sure, I might fail, but I will do it anyway as a sacrifice of worship because it's a beautiful thing to do, even if it's wasteful. And that makes me, you know, impervious to the great accusation of my life, which is you'll always be insignificant and futile. Worship, very empowering. Uh, uh, Relatedly, uh, number four, do everything in love. And this could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but if you want a life that is free of fear, if you're like, yeah, I have too much fear in my life, then maybe the best piece of advice I can give you is, well, then get more love in your life because, you know, perfect love casts out fear. Uh, any, Any parent will jump in front of a bus to save his or her kid, right? We will almost do it without thinking if you're, you know, you've got any sort of heart at all. It's just, you know, in in that sense, we're all programmed for love. Uh, But uh, whatever you really, really love, you will sacrifice yourself for without even thinking, you know. So, um, you know, you jump in front of a bus to say if someone you love, what else would you do for love? What else, what, what would you do for love in your life? What crazy self-sacrificial thing would you do for love? And if you have no answers, if you have no experiences, then you're not a person of love yet. And you should probably decide to grow in that area. Um, If you're not good at love, if you're good at love, then the answer may be, well, any number of things. I've done a lot just for love, love of God or love for others. If you're motivated by love, you're not dominated by fear in life. How do you become a person of love? That's the topic that would fill up one or two more sermons. How do you become a person of love then? But here's my quick advice. If you want to be a better person of love, take responsibility for someone. I'll just put it that way. Take responsibility for someone, particularly someone you ought not to take responsibility for. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Number five, practice self-control. For the spirit... God gave us does not make us fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-control, Paul said to his disciple, uh, Timothy. There's lots and lots to be said uh, about uh, the connection between fear and self-control. But uh, here's what I would say about that. You are a person of self-control if you can make strong choices. Strong choices in tumultuous, stressful situations. Uh, and so you can check that in your life. What's the last strong decision that you made that seriously shaped the course of your life? Something that was off script. Something that your parents didn't tell you to do. Your pastor didn't tell you to do. Just like, I need to change this. I will. And that's a good self-inventory question. And then finally, number six, and we'll end with this. Try. Be a person that tries stuff. That's the easiest way to not be a person of fear. Give it a shot. Whatever it is. Let's pray. Faith, fear, those are really big topics, Lord. Uh, But I pray that uh, the virtue of faith would grow and that the false idol of fear would would fall uh, in our midst.
I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would release us from the mindset of fear, that we would be people who do not habitually shy away, but instead we would be people who habitually try stuff. If we fail, we fail gloriously, but we fail in faith. I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would do some ministry. Identify in our individual lives, Lord, uh, what we're afraid of. Put a name to that nameless thing that keeps us from trying stuff. What is it, Lord? We commit ourselves before you, Lord, uh, and uh, together before one another uh, to be a family of faith. That, uh, that chooses to, uh, to try as a sign of your goodness. We pray, Lord, uh, for more stories of fruitfulness, of influence in the world that has come from us trying simple things or great things, but godly things. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says...